Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for the season, and that's certainly true for our time today. We are discussing Romans on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. Jim Hamilton. Dr. Hamilton is professor of biblical theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the author of several books, including but not limited to What is Biblical Theology, The Bible's Big Story, Salvation History for Kids, and the recently released two-volume commentary on the Psalms from Lexham Press and the forthcoming Typology, Understanding the Bible's Promise-Shaped Patterns. He also serves as the senior pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So here's the big question. In Romans 15, 3, we hear Paul make mention of Christ in a way that calls our attention back to Psalm 69. Could you shed some light on what's happening here? Sure. So the first thing I want to do is state the my starting presupposition, and that is that Paul has rightly understood what this text means in its Old Testament context, and that he's respecting and, and building on the meaning of that Old Testament text that he's quoting in its Old Testament context. In other words, he's not just finding a line that he likes and ripping it out of context and then quoting it and, and you know, throwing it down on people. Uh, rather, he's quoting it um, in context, in, in, in accordance with its contextual meaning. So in the context of Psalm 69, when David says, the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me, in, in, the wide, in other statements that surround that one, he's talking about the way that his enemies have rejected Yahweh. And really what he's getting at is the way that the people that don't like David, ultimately they don't like God. And so they are directing their hatred of God at David. And because of David's position as the anointed king of Israel, these God-haters are making David the focal point of their wrath. So, so that's where we start, is what did this text mean in its Old Testament context? Now, how does Paul quote it? Well, all through Romans 14 and 15, Paul is urging the strong to bear with the weak and not to please themselves. And so, you know, because of different religious backgrounds or different theological conclusions, some of them feel free to drink wine or to regard every day the same and, and these kinds of things. Others have more scruples. And, and so Paul is regarding those who feel freedom as the strong, and he says to them that they have an obligation to bear with the weak and not just please themselves. And then he, said, he, he presents Jesus as the fulfillment of that statement in Psalm 69. And here's how I think the logic works. I think for Paul, Christ is in heaven, in glory, and he has everything that he could possibly want, and he's being praised and celebrated by the hosts of heaven, and he could conceivably have pleased himself and stayed there. But rather than do that, he considered the needs that we have, his people, and he, he considered the needs of the people that he came to save, and so he didn't just please himself, but he... As, as Paul says in Philippians 2, um, he laid aside his glory, he emptied himself, he took on the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so when Jesus came to earth, people hated him, but the people that hated Jesus, they really hated God. And in the same way that David was the focal point 
for the God-haters in his day, so also Christ is the focal point for the God-haters in his day. And Paul's point is, look, Jesus didn't just please himself and do what he wanted. And those of you who follow Jesus, this is what it means for you to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And so you too should uh, look to, to the needs of others and consider the welfare of others and not just please yourself, but bear with the struggles of the weak in faith. So I think that's how the, the, the quotation functions in the logic of Romans 15. Now, that, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about just where Paul's argument is trying to go. I, I guess there's kind of two things here. One, there's the point that Paul is making, and then there's the way he's making his point. And so maybe a listener is hearing you out and going, okay, I understand the point that Paul is making, and that tracks. It makes sense with the flow of the argument. It, it even makes sense just in the Christian experience and, and in light of uh, Paul's other writings to the church and how they should conduct themselves one to another and how he ties that back to Christ. I think sometimes when when you read something like this, particularly when a New Testament author is using an Old Testament passage, in a way that feels, I don't know if I can say this, you can correct me if I'm if I'm being uh, maybe too flippant here. There are times when it feels like the apostles are playing fast and loose with the Old Testament, and uh, maybe maybe that's not happening here. I you know this extends beyond the scope of our conversation, but I'm even thinking you know in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, uh, out of Egypt I have called my son. These passages where it just kind of feels like wait a second, like this seems I, I don't know that I would have read that then and gotten that. Are the apostles by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Is, I guess, how should we understand this to work mechanically? Is Paul going back into Psalm 69, and is he uncovering something there that could not be ascertained apart from this, the, the work, not just the work of illumination, but the work of inspiration? Or is what he's doing, gosh, I guess, congruent with the work of illumination. Like any believer who's illuminated by the Holy Spirit could probably, if reading the passage rightly, get to this place. Does that question make sense? I'm putting you on the spot here because I didn't give you this one ahead of time. Yeah, that's great. So um, I think that that in these cases, like uh, the quotation of Hosea 11.1 1 in Matthew 2, or like this one, the quotation of Psalm 69 here in Romans 15, I think that in these cases, the apostles are, are giving us a glimpse of their wider interpretive framework. And in the same way that uh, I'm sure that like you and, and some of your close friends, you probably have inside jokes that reflect experiences that you shared together, funny things that you witnessed together. And so you could probably throw out one word with some of your friends and they would, if, if it's rightly placed, rightly timed, they're going to lose it. It's, it's going to be magnificent, the, the glory of the humor of it. And, and I think in the same way that that is assuming shared information. These quotations are assuming shared information. And our problem is that we don't necessarily know everything that the biblical authors are assuming when they throw down that one word or when they, you know, make that one statement. But in the case of Hosea 11.1, 1, I think that in, in some ways what Matthew is doing is inviting us into his interpretive understanding of the book of Hosea and encouraging us to go and search the scriptures. And, and Paul, I think, can be understood to be doing this as well, almost saying to his audience, you're not familiar with Psalm 69? You need to be familiar with Psalm 69. And, and so if we go back and study Hosea, 
And if we understand Hosea in accordance with what he intends to communicate, I think what he's saying all through the book in all kinds of ways is the way that God saved us at the Exodus is the way that God is going to save us at the new Exodus, after the exile. And he says this so often that it gets to the point that Hosea, I think, can refer to the Exodus from Egypt, and he doesn't even have to point forward to the new Exodus because his audience, he's established with his audience, look, if I'm talking about the Exodus with you, I'm pointing forward to the new Exodus. And so right before that statement in Hosea 11.1, 1, um, there's this, this statement at the end of chapter 10, at dawn, the king of Israel will be cut off. And that points to exile. That, you know, the death of the king, the cutting off of the king, that points to the exile of the people when they're defeated by their enemies and carried off captive. And then for Hosea to say, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is referring to Exodus 4, 22 and 23, where the nation of Israel is identified as God's son. And it's a pointer back to the Exodus from Egypt, I think, to point forward to the new Exodus that Hosea has been prophesying all through his letter. Similarly, with, with the quotation of Psalm 69 in Romans 15, you know, um, right after this, Paul explains in verse 4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I think what he's getting at is the way that, you know, David suffered in Psalm 69. And David suffered precisely for being faithful to God. And in some ways, Paul is calling the strong in the church to take up the suffering of Christ and, and to be encouraged by the example of David and have hope on the basis of David's experience and the experience of David that's fulfilled in Jesus for their own experience, that the weak won't continue to be weak, that they'll be able to overcome some of these things. And in the same way that, uh, that David helped his people and Christ helped his people, the strong in the church in Rome, I think, will help the weak in the church in Rome to overcome some of these scruples and to make progress in the faith. So uh, to get at all that, we really have to get into the, the inner coherence and the deep, the deep logic of the, of the passages. And that's exactly, I think, what the biblical authors want us to do. I love that. That is so helpful, and I really appreciate you making time for us. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Hamilton, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.